Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. I am super thankful, super thankful for the opportunity to preach this morning. It's been a few months since I've been here and every time I'm on the stage, I feel like I'm rushed off. And so the time that I get to preach, we cancel Sunday school so I can go all afternoon if I need to. Kidding, I learned a long time ago, you never get negative comments if you go super short. I think my first sermon was like 25 minutes and everybody was like, you did awesome, that was great. People are hungry, they wanna go to eat, it's great. This morning we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 28. I would love for you to turn there with me. Hopefully you have your Bible. This is a familiar passage. Um, I would dare say that many of you have it memorized actually, Um, but that's okay. We're gonna be reminded of it. I, um, over the last couple of years, oddly enough, have been educated a little bit um, of my own research on exercise, nutrition. I can hold my own in a conversation about macro and micronutrients, muscle atrophy, aerobic capacity, all these kind of things. But looking at me, you know I have not applied that knowledge. And so you might be able to tell me what this passage says in the Greek You might be able to tell me all the pieces and parts of the sentence, syntax and things like that, but are we living this passage? Let's get into it. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. This is Jesus post-resurrection. He is gathering disciples. He told them to go to this mountain and he's coming to meet them there and he's gonna speak to them. And this is what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father God, We're thankful that we're able to be here this morning. And God, I'm thankful for your word. And God, we're thankful that Christ spoke these words. And God, I pray that this morning that we would be pushed on to live these words, to do as Jesus has called us to do. God, I pray that we would be a church, that we would be a people who live out this calling. God, would you help us in that? Would your Holy Spirit convict us in that? God, make us, mold us to be more like Jesus. And it's in his name I pray, amen. Okay, so I'm gonna break down this passage, just the command, basically, point by point, what Jesus says to his disciples here. Um, If you know me at all, you know I'm all over the place, super ADD, and so when I preach, I really like to have a structure so that we aren't all like, what is he talking about? And Lauren has told me, what, is, what were you talking about on several occasions? So I know, I gotta, gotta be structured. So the first thing he says in verse 18, 
He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So listen up, you need to listen to me. I've been given authority. And then the first command he says in verse 19 is go. That's the very first thing he says, he says go. And so the command to go is a command of difficulty. We need to understand that. Uh, it's a command that implies leaving, right? Going implies leaving something. And when we put ourselves in the mindset of the, the disciples in the first century, right? They, they lived life with Jesus. They walked with him. They were his best friends. And they had an understanding of what he was going to do and going to be that was wrong, right? The girls sang about it just a moment ago that they thought that he was gonna come in military power and authority and take over, uh, but he didn't. He was arrested in front of them. He was persecuted and he was killed and all hope was lost for them. They were crushed. They fleed, they departed, they scattered, they went everywhere. And then three days later, they find out he's not dead anymore. He's alive. And, and so I, I just put yourself in the mindset of Peter, right? When Peter runs to the tomb and he realizes that Jesus is alive. And then when he sees him for the first time and he's able to touch him and he's able to feel his hands, think about the motivation it would have been to do anything that Jesus told him to do, right? Think about the motivation that it would have been for them when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. Do you think they're gonna question that? They just watched him die and then raise again from the dead. I'm pretty confident that they would have done anything that he told them. Jesus had a sense of humor. He could have had some fun with this, but he tells them, go and make disciples. He's telling them to go and so I wanna argue this morning that I think it's a little more difficult for us to do the go part than it was for the disciples to do the go part. Because we are molded and conformed into our cultural norms of comfort. We have standards that we don't like to get out of our comfort zone. We don't like to do the things that are hard. We don't like to go away from the ones that we love, right? Going is a difficult task, going implies leaving. For the disciples, yes, it was going basically to their death. It was a death sentence for them. They were persecuted. They were killed. It always blows my mind reading stories about Paul being stoned to the point where he was almost dead and thinking about the medical things that they had back then, but he wasn't dead. And then he crawled out of the city and like, okay, he's just going to get up and go plant some more churches. What? Um, going is difficult. It was hard for them, but they had such a motivation. We have to understand who Jesus is. We need to know the word. We need to understand who Christ is in order for us to be motivated to go. It was never promised to be easy. In Matthew chapter eight, verses 19 to 22, Jesus is talking to this scribe. It says a scribe came up to him and said, teacher, will I I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And then another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Following Jesus is not easy. It has never been promised to be easy. 
And I keep saying that over and over again because I don't know where we went wrong, but at some point we made it easy. At some point we've made, taken the going out of the equation and made it a staying and made the staying really easy. But he calls us to go. He calls us to go just like he called them to go in the first century. So he says, go therefore. And the second thing he says is make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows someone else, right? And specifically in this context, we're talking about those who follow Jesus. And so go and make disciples. So he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the followers of Jesus. And in turn, he's talking to you if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. And he's saying, go and make more followers. Go, therefore, and make more followers. How do we do it? How, is that, how does that happen? I would argue that it's through the preaching of the gospel. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, this is Paul talking to the church in Rome. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? In order for a disciple to be made, the word of God must be preached. And this is to all disciples. Not just Alan, not just Scott, not just me, not just Aaron. Go and make disciples. Disciples are made through the preaching of the gospel. You need to be preaching the gospel. Jesus commanded his followers in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. The whole creation. So what is the gospel? What, we're supposed to be preaching it. We're his followers. We need to be having gospel conversations, something I'll bring up in a minute. But what is the gospel? I think Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10 is a really great synopsis of the gospel. Again, from Paul to the church in Ephesus. You can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. It's Ephesians chapter two. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. What is the gospel? We are dead, were dead, hopefully, if you're a believer. We are dead in sin, destined for wrath, eternally separated from God, enemies of God. But God, rich in mercy, graciously saved us. Graciously saved us. We did not deserve it. He did not owe it to you. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus. So he tells us to go. He tells us to make disciples, but he gives us a caveat. He gives us a who underneath the disciple-making call, right? He says, go and make disciples of all nations, meaning everyone everywhere, right? When we go to Acts chapter one in verse eight, Jesus lays out a strategy for this going and making disciples. Jesus, before he ascends to heaven, he lays out a strategy for them so they don't have to do guesswork on what all nations means. He tells them, okay, this is how you're gonna do it. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he's he's geographically expanding here, right? I said, they don't have to do guesswork. He says, go and make disciples where you're at and then move to your area and then move to the surrounding area and then from there just keep going. Go and make disciples to the end of the earth of all nations, not discriminating between people groups, going, expanding geographically, strategically. We talked about Lottie Moon a second ago. I'm super thankful for the IMB in this respect. I've had a little bit of experience with logistics and I'm not good at it and it stresses me out. Um, But the IMB is really good at it. They have a strategy, they have a plan. They have people who run the numbers. And so specifically, the IMB categorizes people into people groups in order to strive towards this great commission, this going to all nations. And I've I've got some information from the IMB here to help us understand what, what that looks like and what that means, right? Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. We are a Southern Baptist church. The IMB is a Southern Baptist organization and they are doing their job well. And that's why we give to Lottie Moon, right? A people group is an ethno-linguistic group with a common self-identity that is shared by the various members. For strategic purposes, it is the largest group within which the gospel can spread without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. So it's a group of people that the gospel can be preached to without having to change any kind of cultural norms and understandings for all the people in that people group to understand. If you've ever talked to somebody who's from a different place, a different region, a different area of even our country, and sometimes there are things that will come up that they say, hold on, what are you talking about? What is a holler? Or what, sweet tea? What? It's weird. When you hit cultural norms, there's an explanation that has to happen. A people group is a group of people where those things don't have to be explained. They've crafted the message of the gospel 
for them to understand, and it can go throughout that people group without cultural barrier, linguistic barrier happening, right? So the IMB of the Southern Baptist Convention classifies unreached or unengaged people groups as groups that less than 2% of the population is evangelical. 98% of the people in that people group are lost. That's an unengaged, unreached people group. When there's no church planning strategy at all, there's no strategy to reach these people at all, the people group is classified as unengaged. Okay, so we've got unreached, so 98% of the people in that people group do not know Jesus, and then we've got unengaged, there's no strategy to reach them at all. Okay, I'm going to hit you with some numbers here, so if you're a note taker, take notes. There are 11,723 people groups in the world. That's 7.7 billion people. There are 7,063 unreached people groups in the world. 4.5 billion people belong to a people group where 98% of the population of that people group do not know Jesus. Okay? Of that, there are 3,009 unengaged, unreached people groups in the world. 275 million people that belong to a group that is unreached and there is no strategy to reach them at all. 275 million people. And that's daunting. But this is why we sin. This is why we give money. This is why we do Lottie Moon. And I'll tell you now, if you didn't, I was supposed to spoil it right here, but there was a screen earlier, if you were paying attention, that spoiled it already, sort of. Our goal was $17,500. You guys gave over $20,000 to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Can we get a hand for that real quick? The money's still coming in, so we don't have the final numbers. That'll be up, posted soon but we went above and beyond by over $3,000. Um, so that is awesome, keep it coming, but this is why we do it, because there are people who there's not even a strategy to reach their people group, right? There's not even a worker who has been trained in how to get the gospel to their culture. That's why we send money, that's why we go, that's why we send our friends out to live in these places, these hard to reach places for the rest of their lives potentially. This is why we go. This is why we do Operation Christmas Child. This is why we do the Bethlehem Project. This is why we go and love on people in our community. This is why we do the food pantry. This is why we have a benevolence team because we're in the business of making disciples and a lot of times that starts with serving the felt needs of people. And when we start talking to all nations, it gets a little daunting. It gets a little discouraging, to be honest. The work is yet to be finished. But God in Revelation gives us a vision from John in writing Revelation of the finished work. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. It says, after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count 
from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cried out loud saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. When we think about the massive lostness in our world, it's daunting and it's discouraging. But God, rich in mercy, will save people from every nation, all tribes, all peoples, and all tongues. And we have a glimpse of glory, of those people standing in the presence of God. So he calls us to go. He calls us to make disciples and he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And at this point in the New Testament, if you're reading through the Gospels, baptism is not an unfamiliar thing, right? We've got John the Baptist paving the way for Jesus. He's baptizing people. He's calling them to repent. We see in other places that Jesus is telling his disciples to go out and baptize people, but Jesus doesn't baptize people. And so here he's, he's kind of inaugurating baptism as an ordinance of the church, right? Last week we took the Lord's Supper. He inaugurated that as an ordinance of the church before his crucifixion. And here he establishes baptism and he, he calls the followers to do it in the name of the triune God, to do it in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this, this baptism is a, is a public expression of following Jesus, right? It's a public expression of obedience to Christ. It reflects outwardly what has happened inwardly in the life of the believer, right? We are buried in baptism. We're dipped under the water and we're raised up. And there's a symbol of dying to your old self and being raised to walk in a new life in Christ, So he he calls them to make disciples and baptize them. Romans chapter six, verse four says, we were buried therefore with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so this is an entire scope. And this next point goes with that as well. We're not just getting people to say, I believe in Jesus and sending them on their way. This is an entire, we're embracing them. We're doing life with them. If we're in a context where we can't do that, we're connecting them with someone who can, right? We're baptizing them. And then the last thing we're, we're teaching them, right? He says, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them. And so this is the part of the command that I've always gravitated toward. I love to teach. I love to sit down with people and talk about the word. I love to, to go through passages of scripture with people and just talk about it and help them to understand it, which is absolutely correct. We should be doing that. But until recently, I think I've massively missed a big word here in the text. He says, let's just go to it. Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. To observe. Jesus says, teach them to observe. 
I like to teach people what the words say. I like to teach people what the words mean. But am I teaching them to observe? The call for disciple makers is to show people how to live in obedience to the Lord. Following Jesus is a lifestyle and therefore we are to be teachers of content and of lifestyle. Are we doing that? Are we teaching people how to walk, not just what to know? So a real quick recap, and then we're gonna get into some practical stuff here. He says, go, make disciples, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teach them. So let's look at how in the world we're supposed to do this because the whole passage is like, what? How do we do that? How do I do that when I have a life and a job and a family and all this stuff to keep up with? How am I supposed to go and make disciples of all nations? How am I supposed to baptize people and teach people? Right, we already talked about the fact that Jesus was homeless, his disciples didn't really have anything else to do, right? How are we, who have all this other stuff going on, supposed to do this? Let's look at the practical three areas. I'm going to look at the personal and relationships, church context, and in your prayer life. Okay? So first, personal. In the family context, men, I want to talk to you specifically. We are called to be the head of the home and to be the primary disciple maker of our children, okay? He said, teach them to observe. Are you teaching your family how to observe all that Jesus has commanded us to do? Moms and dads, what do your kids see when they watch you deal with traffic? What do your kids hear when they hear you on the phone with a telemarketer or a bill collector? How do they see you in the comment section on Facebook or Instagram? How do they see you handle when you burn your hand on the stove? How are you living your life in your family context to make disciples, to teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. A word that I like to throw around a lot is a sphere of influence. And so I use this with our students a lot. We talk about, you know, who are the people that are influenced by you? This is at school, at home, at work. If you have a hobby and that requires you to get around other people, how are you using your spheres of influence to make disciples? You know, I think a lot of times we definitely in our culture have been conformed to never talk about two things, right? Religion and politics. We don't talk about it. Don't bring it up unless it's an election season and you're on Facebook. Then you can talk about politics all you want because that's totally fine. But are we following what Jesus has called us to do if we just neglect to, te- to talk about religion ever? Oh, we can't talk about that. I don't, I don't want to make Betty mad. Her family's Mormon. No, we have to be willing to offend people. 
in a nice way. It's okay. You can do it. I promise you can do it in a loving way, in a kind way, in a humble way. You can talk about religion without getting red in the face and screaming. And you can do it not on Facebook and not on Instagram where things get heated real quick. We might as well just all delete our accounts. Let's just do that. You're day one, 2021. Let's make it a goal. Maybe, we'll see. Are we leveraging our relationships? Are we leveraging the relationships we have at work, at home, at school for the gospel? Or are we avoiding those conversations altogether? Do we avoid talking about those things? You have more, you have more credibility with the people around you than you understand that you have. Hopefully, if you're living your life like Jesus. So be willing to have the conversation. Be willing to invite someone to church. Be willing to correct them when they say something that is offensive to our God. Be willing to call it out and be willing to do it in a way that is gentle and loving. In order to do this, in order to make disciples, in order to leverage our relationships, in order to have these conversations, we have to do one really big thing. And I mentioned it at the very beginning. It's just kind of part of, it just comes along with it, right? It's a package deal. We have to get out of our comfort zone. I mentioned in the very beginning that we are cultural, culturally conformed to being comfortable for the most part. We need to get out of our comfort zone in order to make disciples, in order to go and make disciples of all nations, whether that's right here in our backyard or around the world in Central Asia or somewhere like that, whatever we're gonna do, if we're gonna make disciples, we have to get out of our comfort zone. It's not comfortable to have a conversation with someone to say, hey, I know you don't believe in Jesus, but I'm sorry, you need to. I wanna tell you about him because you're going to hell if you don't. That's not a comfortable conversation. We have to be willing to get out of our comfort zone. I think a lot of us hide behind a response when we talk about this passage in particular, when we talk about specifically going on mission trips, when we talk about these kind of things, we say, I'm not called. Hey, why aren't you going on that trip? I'm not called. Why aren't you involved in this area of ministry at the church? I'm not called. Why aren't you having these conversations with people at work? I'm not called. That's just not what I'm gifted. I'm not called to do that. And I know that you say that because I used to say that. And my response to you is, yes, you are. Because right here in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is talking to his disciple. If you are a believer in Christ, you are his disciple. You're called to do it. You're called to go and make disciples, whether you feel like it or not. That's just the reality, whether it's comfortable for you or not, whether you are prone to having conversations with people or you don't like talking to humans, like whatever your inclination is, you are called to go and make disciples of all nations. It's just the reality, we're called to do it. So as a challenge to every person in this room, I wanna invite you to get out of your comfort zone, even if that just means inviting somebody to church. Get out of your comfort zone. You won't regret it, I don't think. Some of you might be like, oh, I totally regretted it because I had to talk to somebody and it hurt. You'll be okay, I promise. So let's talk about the church context. 
in and through the church, we go and we make disciples of all nations. We baptize people here. We teach people here. The first thing we need to do in the church context is giving. Giving of our time, our treasure, and our talents. Some of us only come on Sunday morning for just one service, for one hour. We give of one hour. I'm thankful that you're here, but you need to give more time. This is the bride of Christ. If you're married and you only saw your husband or wife one hour a week, that's not good. I, don't, I probably don't have to tell you that, but that's not good. And so this is the bride of Christ. We're called to serve the church. We're called to love the church. And so let's get involved. Let's get you in a Sunday school class, step one. Let's get you serving, step two. We're called to give our time, our treasure, and our talent. You guys have already shown that you've given your treasure. You've, you've done above and beyond what we were hoping for for Lottie Moon, but I think we can go far further. I think we can go online at bdbc.org-give, designate some more to Lottie Moon, and make it 25000 I don't know. We'll see. A few days left in the year. But give of your talent as well, right? We're all gifted in a different way. Some of us are really good at holding the door for somebody to walk in. Some of us are good at teaching people. Some of us are good at singing. We all have different talents. Are you using your talents to make disciples? Are you using your talents to serve the church? We need to be giving of our talents as well. And we need to be going, right? We need to be going into our community. We need to be going and serving people here in halls. We need to be going on international mission trips. I wanna invite everyone when we can do that again, go on a trip, come with us. Let's go somewhere and serve the Lord together and that will help you get out of your comfort zone. I can promise you that. So we need to be going. And then finally, we need, to, we need to think about how to pray towards the Great Commission, how to pray towards making disciples. We need to pray for our local church efforts, for the things that we're doing here in and through our church to make disciples. We need to pray for our national efforts, the thing that the North American Mission Board, the things that our local and state affiliates are doing in order to make disciples. We need to pray for international efforts for our workers on the field. You can know them and pray for them by name. Hopefully you're already doing that. If not, please contact me. Let me get you on their mailing list by email. And they, I'm not gonna say their name right here because it's on Facebook, but they will send you in your email a list of prayer requests for them, how to pray for our workers in the field that are in the hard to reach places of the world. We need to be praying for them. We need to be praying that they will be successful in making disciples. So why? Why do we go? Why do we make disciples? Why do we baptize? Why do we teach? Why do we need to lead our families to make disciples? Why do we need to serve the church? Why do we need to pray? Because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Talking with some of our workers in the field, that they interact with people who, if coming to know Jesus happens in their life, if they believe in Jesus, they're giving up literally everything in their entire life. They're being disowned by their families. Our workers could be deported. 
They could be in danger for their life. Why would they do that? Because Jesus is worth it. He says, all authority has been given to me. He is our sovereign king. And he is with us always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father God, our rock and our salvation, you have given us a specific calling to to go forward, to spend our lives for you. God, may you give us the strength and discipline to do that faithfully. God, may we have the strength and conviction to leave our concerns with you. God, help us to not become weary as we strive to carry out the Great Commission day after day. God, enable us to undertake all the tasks that you place before us. May we overcome every hardship, every trial, every circumstance, every temptation, all while proclaiming the good news of Jesus along the way. God, may we be useful to you and point others to you. If it means that we can accomplish this task more fully, help us to deny our worldly comforts. God, help us to deny the recognition of the world. Help us to deny all of the distractions that keep us from doing what you have called us to do. God, I pray that each of us would fervently pursue godliness, that we would pursue disciple-making. God, may we know that you are with us always. In the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.